was Andriy Klebnyuk, the lead singer of the very popular Ukrainian group Boombox, backed up by none other than Pink Floyd in a very recent release in support of Ukraine called Hey Hey Rise Up, otherwise known to those of us who know and love Ukrainian music as Oy Uluzi Chervona Kalena. Dobry večer i vitaju vas vsih dorehi radio suhači na radio programu Naš holos radio Krinskoho Korinja, kotra podjeci vam na vahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misci Vancouveri. Pre mikrofoni pavina djakuju što rišale perebute zimnoju na stupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a great program lined up for you today. A book review of a new release from Harvard University Press. It is a historical account of Ukrainian women in the Gulag and it has certainly very stark parallels to what is going on in Ukraine today with history sadly repeating itself, as well an interview with a Canadian author who was born in Kiev and is living now in Ottawa. She experienced anti-Semitism growing up in Soviet Ukraine in the 1960s and 70s before coming to Canada, and she's recently written a memoir, and she'll be sharing us, sharing with us details of how she came to write the book, a bit about her life story, and as well the work that she's doing right now to help refugees fleeing war-torn Ukraine. So stay tuned for all of that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. Coming up next is Ludwig from London, and this is a song that he wrote shortly after the first incursion into Ukraine back in 2014 by Russia, and it certainly holds true so much more today. It is called There's Two Kinds of People. Condemnation, condemnation Doesn't change the situation 
put in Hitler of today Who knows his final destination Now they all express concern The situation is unstable And they say we should return To the negotiation table Never heard the terms invasion, occupation, annexation, indecision, no resulting in complete capitulation. Then they'll all repeat their lies again to try to justify that for the greater good of all, a country's freedom was denied. There's three kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for change And those who find the reasons It's got to stay the same There's two kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for truth And those who find the reasons There's nothing you can do So which of them are you? was many times before We've got to see this to the end To stand together yet alone Our nation's freedom to defend They say the times have changed But if we're talking of Ukraine Stalin's, Hitler's and now Putin's Real intentions stay the same be sure of this, you leaders of the West, you'll have to see Your cowardice in history, recalled eternally Your children and descendants will disown you and your names Ashamed that you betrayed a sovereign country called Ukraine there's two kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for change And those who find the reasons It's got to stay the same There's two kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for truth And those who find the reasons There's nothing you can do So which of them are you? Democracy dependent on dictatorship is here The gas they sell you hates you But you have to live in fear So free yourselves from all The devil Putin has to sell Then hopefully he'll leave us be And crawl back into hell there's three kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for change And those who find the reasons It's got to stay the same There's two kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for truth And those who find the reasons There's nothing you can do So which of them are you? There's three kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for change And those who find the reasons It's got to stay the same There's two kinds of people that we've got in this world There's those who fight for truth And those who find the reasons There's nothing you can do So which of them are you?
Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications, and when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com, or visit ukrainewaramps.ca. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Bask in the mastery of violin virtuoso Vasil Popaduk and his band Papaduk with special guests Elena Bondareva, Boris Sikon, and the Dobush Dancers at the Children of Ukraine Benefit Concert Tuesday, May 17th at 7.30 p.m. at the Orpheum Theatre in Vancouver. All proceeds to support the Children of Ukraine through donations to orphanages in Sume. Tickets available through Ticketmaster. That's the Children of Ukraine Benefit Tuesday, May 17th, 7.30 p.m. at the Orpheum Theatre. Czy znajesz ty, że moja rodyna, ja przyjechał tu z dalekiego kraju, żeby zobaczyć selo moje, żeby zobaczyć moją krainę. Wystolicia tomu selo wynieśli i sebirsi selianyny wywozyli. Deselo bula wzięje do rohaj, kolonej tam stoi mohela. Pokażę meni, dejec ja mohela, bo ja chodzę kolonej pomolitys. Za moju rodynu, za selo i za nieszczęśliwą Ukrainu. Za moju rodynu, za selo i za nieszczęśliwą Ukrainu. Wizmu winnej, wizmu ja czarną ziemię, ziemię rydną, czarną ziemię z Ukrainy. Że znaju ja, czemu nie wypisali. Ja że znaju, a chcę by się nie znaty. Bo mnie będę przygadać, jak ja sierotoju zależyłsia. Bo mnie będę przygadać, jak ja sierotoju zależyłsia. 
the Ukrainians from Leeds, England, from their CD, Vorone, The Crows, uh, released still back in the 1990s. And that is a song called Chesnayishte, Do You Know? And it is a song about a uh, Ukrainian expat going back to his village, trying to find, going back to Ukraine, rather, trying to find his village and his home and his family. A very poignant song for today's time. Coming up next, from Ukraine, Boris Sevastyanov with a song also written back in about 2014-2015 about the realities of life in Ukraine, parts of Ukraine, and now all of Ukraine. This is war. What is this? This is geopolitics. Who is this? There's a murders and killers. This is war. This is war. Through the years, we have sought our freedom, never more. We'll lose our chances, never more, never more. And we will not surrender, have no other good solutions, illusions. This is not a civil this is our struggle for independence And we can't give up and we must stop our enemies Just try to understand us We don't want to kill or shoot no one We just want to live in peace forever All we need is love and have some fun This is not a game, this is not the next level Just try to understand us We don't want to kill or shoot no one We 
Corner Book Reviews by Myra Junik. Ukrainian Stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Survival as Victory, Ukrainian Women in the Gulag by Oksana Kish. Survival as Victory, Ukrainian Women in the Gulag, published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University, examines the stories of Ukrainian women who were sentenced to the Soviet Gulag in the 1940s and 50s. Oksana Kis based her work on memoirs, diaries, and oral histories of over 150 women who survived the dehumanizing effects of exile and imprisonment. These women were often sentenced because of their nationalist leanings. In the Gulag, they tried to maintain normalcy by preserving their Ukrainian identity. These stories are particularly poignant considering the events of 2022, when the Ukrainian nation was invaded by Russia, resulting in millions of Ukrainian women and children being forced to flee. In the introduction, Oksana Kis remembers a 2002 interview with Maria Shanhutova from the village of Denishchi about her time as a prisoner in the Soviet Gulag. This stooped elderly woman remembered her captivity, not as a browbeaten victim, but with pride and dignity. She spoke about how she successfully resisted a powerful, soul-crushing system. Ukrainian women were found in high numbers in gulag camps from 1939 to 56. Conservative estimates suggest that over 200,000 Ukrainians were sent to the camps during this period. These camps were meant to remove, punish, and re-educate those who dared resist the Soviet regime. Individuality, nationality, gender, religion, and political ideals were ruthlessly crushed. The horrific conditions in the camps were largely kept secret until the 1990s. Anne Applebaum's 2003 Gulag studied the daily lives of the people in this abusive and inhumane system. While Applebaum used archival materials and recollections, Oksana Kis has used the memoirs of Ukrainian women who were political prisoners. The focus of this study is on the strength and strategies that over 150 Ukrainian women used to survive despite the horrors of the Gulag. The seven chapters of this book deal with daily life, living conditions, national identity and Christian faith, creativity, femininity, sexuality, and motherhood. Interspersed in the text are illustrations of the work of women in the Gulag. Embroidery, Christmas cards, albums, letters, poems, icons, and other handmade items. These beautiful and colorful examples of creativity speak to the dedication of the women 
to preserve not only their humanity, but their identity as Ukrainians in the face of unimaginable repression by their Russian captors. Ukrainian history has not focused on the history of women. In particular, the topic of the daily lives of women has been poorly developed. In this context, survival as victory and its use of individual women's memoirs of the Gulag is a unique examination of the repression of Ukrainian women by the Soviet regime. Their memoirs speak to the abuse and attack on their Ukrainian national identity that they experienced during their imprisonment. Hunger, cold, exhaustion, and injuries drained the women and destroyed their health, crippling and killing thousands of political prisoners. Despite all these unbelievable difficulties, many of them managed to survive. Their determination to preserve their Ukrainian culture and religion in the Stalinist period speaks to the resilience of the Ukrainian nation, despite Russian determination to rewrite Ukrainian history. Their memoirs repeatedly raise such issues as the importance of the Ukrainian language in the completely Russian-speaking environment of the camps and prisons, a longing for their homeland and grief over the fate of the shackled Ukrainian people. This book is an important addition to the academic studies of Ukrainian women's history, Soviet repression of Ukraine, as well as the horrors of the Gulag. The text is detailed and very readable because it is based on the memoirs of actual Ukrainian women who survived their imprisonment in the Gulag. Researchers will appreciate the meticulous research as well as extensive appendices, a glossary, geographic details, notes, and a bibliography of both primary and secondary sources. Survival as Victory describes the oppression of Ukrainian women in the Gulag by their Russian captors and their success in resisting this oppression. Given the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022, this book has become particularly important to explain why women who have been impacted by the war are so determined to fight for the right of their country to survive. Once again, Russia is fighting to destroy the Ukrainian nation using the brutal tactics of war crimes against the civilian population. And once again, Ukrainian women are determined to survive to achieve victory. Oksana Kis is a historian who works on Ukrainian women's history, feminist anthropology, and oral history. She holds a doctorate in history and ethnology. She is a senior research fellow at the Institute of Ethnology of the National Academy of Sciences of Ukraine in Lviv the president of the Ukrainian Association for Research in Women's History, and the online editor of the journal Ukraina Moderna. Dr. Kies has edited several books and thematic issues of scholarly periodicals on women's history and feminist anthropology. Survival as Victory is an important addition to the history of Ukraine's struggle for freedom and independence. 
every time that they found a way to remain human in the face of inhuman conditions, to remain women, Ukrainians, and Christians, to preserve their identities and values, they beat the system. Survivalist Victory, Ukrainian Women in the Gulag, is available at Amazon and Harvard University Press. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Say I'm a dream.
This is CHMB, AM 1320, Vancouver. Weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival are now available. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing over three incredible days, July 29th to 31st, at the festival site south of Dauphin. Your one-pay gate gives you access to all of the on-site attractions. Canada's National Ukrainian Festival weekend passes and camping passes are now available. Get them online at cnuf.ca by calling 204-622-4600 or at the festival office in Dauphin. Bask in the mastery of violin virtuoso Vassil Popaduk and his band Papaduk with special guests Elena Bondareva, Boris Sikon, and the Dobush Dancers at the Children of Ukraine Benefit Concert Tuesday, May 17th at 7.30 p.m. at the Orpheum Theatre in Vancouver. All proceeds to support the Children of Ukraine through donations to orphanages in Sume. Tickets available through Ticketmaster. That's the Children of Ukraine Benefit Tuesday, May 17th, 7.30 p.m. at the Orpheum Theatre. And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nasholus Ukrainian Roots Radio. Discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Regina Gershman is an author, playwright, educator, and counselor who lives in Ottawa, where she's helping refugees to resettle and start new lives in Canada. Regina was born in Kiev when it was still part of the Soviet Union. In 1974, she fled to Canada with her family, leaving the rest of her close family back in Ukraine. As a young girl in Soviet Ukraine, Regina fought hard for her identity and Jewish faith in schools and a society in which atheism was the only accepted religious view. She's had three books published, the most recent on the topic of Ukraine, titled Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Antisemitism. Writing this book brought a lot of old memories back for Regina, along with great sympathy and empathy for Ukrainian refugees fleeing war-torn Ukraine today. Currently, she's fighting to get the rest of her family out of Kiev, including an 84-year-old aunt. She joins us by phone from her home in Ottawa. Thanks so much, Regina, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
Now, congratulations on this book. Um, it was really hard to get to get a review copy, and that's uh, the review will be airing shortly, as soon as Myra gets finished reading it. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite. It's been flying off the shelves. So, congratulations on that. I imagine it'll be going into another printing soon. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to hear that. So, this book, your third, it's it's a memoir. It's not fiction. So it's based on your story. Now, um, your name is Regina. The uh, protagonist in the book is called Rebecca. Tell us about that. Tell us that story first. <laughs> okay. Well, my when I was born, my name was Rebecca. That's the name they gave me. My grandmother named me Rebecca because her mother's name was Rivka. Rivka and Rebecca is the same name. Ah. But due to the fact we were Jewish, and my parents were hiding the fact that we were Jewish because many people don't know that. But at that time, in 1960, in 60s, there was a huge anti-Semitism going on in all over USSR, former Soviet Union. And so, so it wouldn't be difficult for me in school and living in society. My father renamed me Regina or we call it in Ukrainian and Russian, Regina. So my grandmother would constantly call me Rebecca, and my mother and my father would call me Regina. So coming to Canada, my name stayed as uh, Regina. Well, really, it's Regina, but in English, we call it as Regina. In Russian, it's called Regina with a G instead Uh, of a G. Okay, because there is no G in Russian, right. And, of course, that was the dominant language, even in Soviet Ukraine at the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, in Ukrainian, they call it Rihina. Rihina, right. Do you ever do you ever use Rivka? Rivka I use only when I go to the synagogue. So, in the Jewish area, I would, always when I go to, you know, the Jewish Federation, they know me as Rebecca. Okay. But, of course, they also know me as Regina, but it's just less confusing when they know me as Rebecca. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I'm Pavlina on the show, but in the rest of the life of my life, it's Paulette. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but sort of similar. So tell us about growing up in, in Soviet Ukraine. You mentioned in schools, it started in schools. Uh, so atheism was really pushed on you. And if you had a different faith, uh, you were in trouble. Exactly. Well, I was born to a religious family. So my grandparents were very religious and my great grandfather was a rabbi. And so you can imagine that when my, my, my paternal side, every Friday they would celebrate Shabbat, they would have to cover all the windows. Oh. So the neighbors wouldn't find out what we are doing because practicing religion was not allowed back in in Russia as they wanted the whole Russia to be atheist. Right. And uh, of course my immediate family, grandparents on my paternal side were not. They were very religious. So and of course it's, um, it was uh, very, very traditional for them to be, you know, to celebrate hol- or Jewish holidays. And uh, growing up, even though they changed my name from Rebecca to Regina, when I was going to school, um, visibly I looked different from other children. 
and I had a lot of Jewish, uh, I guess, teachers. And the kids and the teachers would make fun of me. And the teachers and the principals, they, they did not like the, anyone who was not uh, Ukrainian or pure Russian looking. And so I would often get into trouble without even being in trouble just because I was Jewish. I would get in a lot of trouble. And what I'm saying about our trouble, there was, you can say, physical abuse. So oh. the physical abuse consisted of uh, slapping kids on their hands if they chose to write with the left hand instead of the right hand. Oh. And I was born left-handed. Oh, dear. Yeah, sometimes I would forget to write with the right hand, and I would get a, a big slap on the left hand. And uh, I would always be picked up uh, by teachers, and they were very rough on me, and I would always be sent to principal's office. The principal would actually hit me, and they called it discipline. But yes, yes, so that's what they would do to kids. And if you read my book, you know how bad it would get in school. Outside the school, yes, unfortunately, that was the case in the 60s. Outside of school, um, I would be picked on by peers and by older students. They would push me, and even the girls would fight, and they would also push me. I would often come home uh, with bruises. And there was, unfortunately, there was nothing my parents can do. They couldn't just come into school and complain. Uh, there was just, they just couldn't do that because if they did that, then they would lose their job or it, it, it would be very bad. So uh, I, as a little girl, wouldn't even tell them what happened to school because I didn't want them to worry oh. about it. And I tried to handle it myself. So there was a huge discrimination going on at that time in um, 70s, early 70s. Uh, For example, my mother would go try to get milk or some other product and she would stand in a long lineup with a queue. Usually it's normal at that time to line up for milk in one line, for bread in another line, for livestock in another line and for vegetables in completely different lines. So sometimes people stand like two to three hours per day just to get fruits and vegetables. Oh boy. So when my mother would stand in line, someone would notice that she's not one of them and they would push her or just pull her out of the line and say things like, oh, we don't sell, we don't sell products to Jews, get out of here. And, or else I would just really physically push her and she would fall on the ground and nobody would help her to get up. They would all laugh at her and uh, things like that. Or there were incidents when she would walk with my father and some drunken man would come up to them and they said, oh, why are you with her? You know, you could be with somebody else. And they tried to push her in front of my father. And my father would try to defend my mother and he would get punched in the face. So it was was very difficult growing up being there on that time. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of name calling, left and right, even. And the neighbors were spies. 
were spying on their other neighbors because they were paid to do so by KGB. And KGB, uh, they were everywhere. Yeah. So it was also very dangerous. Wow. And uh, so that's how I was growing up in the in Kiev at yeah. that time in 1960s and 1970s. What did your, um, did your mom work? Yes, both my parents worked. They had very good jobs. So my mother was a quality assurance analyst, and my father was an engineer. So he was an structured engineer. Did they encounter problems at work, too? You know, my mother did, and my father not as much, but my mother always encountered problems. She was also working in a chocolate factory where she developed allergies to chocolate for some reason. Oh, dear. So in the evening, she would come home with these different chocolates, and uh, of course she couldn't eat them because she was allergic, but she asked me to eat the chocolates and sort them in different rolls, like this is dark chocolate, this is milk chocolate, and this is bittersweet chocolate. So she, it was funny, but she, she just couldn't do it herself, so she would bring it to me, and I would be doing it for her. And at a very early age, I developed love for chocolate. <laughs> yeah, it was so much love that later on in my years, I needed a dentist a lot. Oh, <laughs> oh. well, that's that's nice to have that that happy memory from childhood. Then, uh, I mean, chocolate is yes. chocolate. Chocolate yes. is very soothing for many things. So, uh, yes. how did the immigration process? Seventy four was still the throes of the Soviet Union. It was hard to get out. Uh, were you considered a refusenik? I remember that that's what they called Jews who somehow managed to get out. Uh, almost expelled. It was like the Soviet government was saying, "Okay, we don't want you, so go, go to Israel or go to the West, whatever." Was that how it that worked? That is out exactly for you? correct. Ah. Yes, yes. So the reason we could get out of Russia, well, it was then Russia. I'm referring to it as Russia, even though it's Kiev and it's Ukraine now. Yeah. But I'm referring to it as Russia because it was former. Yeah. USSR, well, they, they want they wanted it to be Russia then, and they want it to be Russia again now. So, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, so the way um, whoever had uh, Jewish roots were able to get out. If a person or a family did not have any Jewish roots, they could not get out. Right. So in fact, the government wanted the Jewish people to leave USSR at that time. So what they would do, they would come around and they would just give a notice of two weeks uh, if they wanted something from the family, they would come in, they would give them two weeks, and they said, here, you have two weeks to get out. If wow. you don't get out within two weeks, that's it. You know, oh. your your apartment is not going to be yours. You're going to take this away, you're going to take that away, and you're going to take your children away. <gasps> oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. There were a lot of stories that the children were uh, separated from their parents, and the parents uh, were taken away, or either they were sent to Siberia, or worse. So, but the children were placed with foster parents, oh and so goodness. when they told us we only had two weeks to leave, and they took my parents' passport, so oh. they couldn't get anywhere. They just had to leave, oh. um, and. So, yes, and, and the KGB was constantly watching them. So right away, my parents lost their jobs. 
right away. The moment we, they were told they have to leave, they lost their job. And of course, they kicked me out of school the same day. Oh. And I didn't even know we were leaving. I didn't even know what was going on. It's just that the, the principal came, took me by the hand, and walked me to the door and closed the door behind me. And I'm like, well, what's going on? I don't know. Like, what's happening? And oh. uh, and they said to me, you're no longer a citizen of this country, and you have to leave. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I was 10 years old. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know what was happening. Of course, I went home and to find out, and my parents came home, and everybody was quickly gathering what they could, but the um, KGB were watching us. So every day they would come to our house. Well, we lived in apartments. And to see what was, you know, what we were doing. And they were constantly harassing us, harassing us, harassing us. So the last day, you know, my father was so scared of all the harassment and threats because they were constantly being threatened. So finally in the middle of the night, because we didn't know what was going to happen. They could have separated us. And there was a lot of stress on my parents, and we just grabbed uh, whatever we could. I grabbed my doll, and my parents grabbed two suitcases, and we just fled. We fled straight to the train. And my grandparents were there, and some other relatives were there just to say goodbye to us. And some of them said goodbye for the last time because I never, ever saw my paternal grandparents again. And I never saw my maternal grandfather again. So it was it was very sad. But being a little girl, I didn't know what was going on. No. But all I knew is that there I was being pushed on the train, and and we were leaving and saying goodbye to everyone. And that's all I knew. And everybody, it was so much shock, and, and a lot of people were getting on the train very quickly. It was in the middle of the night. I wanted to sleep. My little brother was crying and so you can just imagine what's going on and then the train the train was full of people and uh it was uh it was very difficult moment going through that remembering that uh it was very stressful going somewhere where you don't know where you're going yeah and then once we got to poland they went through our luggage and they took a lot of things and including my doll. I had the oh. doll for 10 years. They broke its neck. Oh. And, uh, yes, they were checking everything. Uh, they broke the, the doll's neck and they took the doll away. They took a lot of our stuff, uh, our clothes, our, a lot of things. They took away what they wanted. And they just pushed us somewhere else. We didn't even know where we were going, but we, they, we were completely kicked out of the country. And, uh, and that's it. Nobody would talk to us. And again, we didn't know what, what was going on. We were going through Poland, and then we were sent to Vienna. We stayed in Vienna for one week, but again, we didn't speak German. And yeah. it was, we didn't know what was going on. We were just told, go there, go here, do this, do that. And nobody to ask questions, because you can ask questions, they won't give you the answers. And from Vienna, we were told we only have two ways to go, either to Israel or to Italy. And so my parents chose Italy. Why? Why Italy, why Italy uh, and not um, Israel? Israel? 
uh, well, my mother wanted to go to Canada, and uh, my father did everything that my mother wanted to do. So, because she wanted to go to Canada, and we knew a uh, way to get to Canada is through Italy. Okay. And so we had to go to Italy and wait till we would get our entry visas through Italy, from Italy. Okay. How did you manage then in Vienna? Were you on your own or were you with other other Jews from from Ukraine and the Soviet Union? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there so- were other Jews, Jewish people from, um, I think everything was organized by the Jewish Federation. Okay. All right. And that's an organization that was in the Soviet Union? Um, no, I think it was a Jewish organization from either Italy or uh, Canadian. I'm not sure exactly okay. which Jewish organization, but I think it was organized that way. Okay, that, that one. Yeah. Okay, there wouldn't have been any allowed in in the Soviet Union, right? That would have no. been that would have been dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's hard. Yeah. Hard, hard to wrap your head around that. This was in the 1970s, and this none of this. These are these are stories that were never known. They we didn't know about this going on in the West. I was in high school, and uh, I was going to a Catholic school. I remember when I was 15 in the library finding the diary of Anne Frank. And I read that and I thought, oh my good. And I knew because of what I experienced, the discrimination I experienced growing up in Canada as Ukrainian and just hearing vaguely, you know, adults when they weren't speaking Ukrainian, <laughs> um, <laughs> telling stories about difficulties in the past. And, and it was never as bad as what Anne Frank uh, experienced, obviously, because we were, you know, in Canada, but still, I in the book, I I just felt an affinity for, for you know, the Jewish culture, the Jewish people, because I thought, oh, we have so much in common, and that was the first I knew anything about anything Jewish. I was in the middle of Saskatchewan, you know, we were all mostly Ukrainian and European farmers, and so in high school, we should have known about what was going on in the Soviet Union because it was a Ukrainian Catholic school. And, be, and Ukrainian Catholics and, and Orthodox are being persecuted as were Jews, but yet nobody talked about it. Yes, well, I remember um, getting to Edmonton. That's where we landed. Um, when We stayed in Italy for seven months, and then finally Canada accepted the new wave of immigrants, and they had to resettle them throughout the country, and we were told to uh, move to Edmonton. Yes, so they resettled us in Edmonton. Okay. Why in Edmonton? Because there were not enough um, Ukrainian, Russian, and Jewish people there. So they sent us there. I think we were one of the first waves of Ukrainian, Russian, Jewish immigrants to resettle in Edmonton in the 70s. But there were lots of Ukrainian. That was, when I was yeah. growing up, they called it Garlic Gulch and Edmundchuk and, you know, all of that. It was known to be a hub of Ukrainian life. Yes, but those were the Ukrainians from 1900. Yeah. That's when they sat there. So there would be, uh, yeah, so there would be about second generation, mm-hmm. third generation. Right. And we would be the first generation because we would really be Ukrainian, Russian, Jewish people. Okay, yeah. That would be coming there. And that's where the discrimination started because um, a lot of Ukrainians did not accept us because, again, we were Jewish. And um, 
And again, there was a discrimination there because, well, my mother uh, spoke much better Ukrainian than the actual Ukrainians who have lived in Alberta. Because they lost um, the language, because, because we weren't allowed to keep it up uh, in Canada. Yeah. Wow. And so there would have been the resentment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so there was, uh, and again, there was a lot of discrimination because, again, the new people coming mm-hmm. in, new culture. So in school, it wasn't so bad as in Russian school, but but still, because I went into grade five, and I felt there was a discrimination. There was a, a language barrier, of course, but the kids, when they see you look different, you dress different, you act different, and you speak different. So, of course, that's where uh, the discrimination and the fighting starts. And at that time, there was no such thing as uh, no fighting allowed. I mean, maybe they, it was still encouraged. You know, you you uh, solve your problem through fighting yeah. at that time. Again, we're talking about 1970. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yes, I felt a lot. Even my little brother who came to Canada when he was three years old, he also felt it. And his English was perfect. But he still went through this a little bit of harassment. But I went through a lot of harassment in Canada. I'm speaking with Regina Gershman, author of Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Anti-Semitism. This interview was recorded in early April, shortly after the release of her memoir. In part two of this interview, Regina will tell us the rest of her life story. She'll also tell us about the work she's doing in Ottawa to help refugees from war-torn Ukraine and the difficulties and dangers faced by Ukrainians fleeing mortal danger. These include her own family members. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nosholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Please join me next week for part two of this interview with Regina Gershman. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. And our proverb of the week translates as, Sooner or later, a path must be made for truth and justice. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder that the Nanaimo edition of Nasholos can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., till 1 p.m. with host www.nasholos.com. There are also links there to our Patreon site and other links where you can support Ukraine. And again, that is www.nasholos.com. Well, our time is about up, so to take us to the end of our program, we have Vasil Popajuk with a song since tomorrow is Mother's Day, and he will be in Vancouver in a couple of weeks' time. And this is a song called Romans to My Mother. I'm Pavlina, on behalf of all of us here at Nosholos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening, and Dobranich!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.